You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, thank you, Robbie. So it's old school day. You got an old school preacher. How about that? (laughs) It is tremendous to be with you um, at Together Church. And of course, Diane and I have followed your progress from the inception of the church. And, and we're just thrilled to know what the Lord is doing here in Monk's Corner through Together Church. And we're so happy for um, Robbie and Allison and our four grandchildren that are part of your church family. We're also grateful for the wonderful care you give them. And, and it's always good. To, I've been with you a few times since you started, and, but this is the first time I've been here And I appreciate Robbie giving me the opportunity to share with you uh, this morning. And, of course, we spent Thanksgiving weekend here with them and have had a great time. Allison's brother, our son, and his wife and two children were here until yesterday. And and so this is the culmination of a wonderful weekend for our family, and we're so thankful. You know, Robbie mentioned how we've been mindful of our blessings, and we have so much to be thankful for. And this is the Segway Sunday from Thanksgiving into the season of Advent. Um, Robbie shared with me earlier this past week about the direction he was going in, in his messages leading up to, the, to Christmas. And so with that in mind, I, I, I felt led to take a turn toward kind of laying a little groundwork for that and, and getting, preparing our hearts to get ready to celebrate the birth of births and the coming of our Lord and Savior, um, Jesus Christ. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to the opening words of the first gospel, the first book of the New Testament, the gospel of Matthew. I want you to just hold it there for, for a few moments, um, the gospel of Matthew. What we're going to do is consider the first 17 verses of the gospel of Matthew this morning. So I, I want you to follow along. I think maybe the text might be up on the screen as well, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But most of us are familiar with the Wright brothers and are aware that up the coast a few hundred miles some years ago, a matter of fact, it was December the 17th, 1903, that Orville and Wilbur Wright finally succeeded at keeping their, their airplane, their homemade airplane, in the air for a total of 59 seconds. That was precise. 59 seconds. And it's hard for us to imagine how ecstatic they must have been at that point in time after all their hard work had had culminated in them flying for 59 seconds. And so what they did is they went, after they had flown for the first time, went and sent a, a telegram to their sister in their hometown of Dayton, Ohio, and they sent a simple, precise message, and here's what that telegram said, first sustained flight today, 59 seconds, hope to be home for Christmas. She was so so happy, their sister, she was so happy when, when, when she got that telegram, she read it and she rushed off to the local newspaper handed the telegram to the editor of the newspaper. And the following morning, their names were splashed all over the front page of the newspaper in Dayton, Ohio. But not for the reason you would expect. At least the message wasn't 
what you would expect. The headline read, Popular Local Bicycle Mechanics or Merchants. Local Bicycle Merchants to be home for the holidays. (laughs) And the point is that the newspaper editor had missed the whole point of the telegram that had been sent. Missed the whole, the whole reason that the telegram had been sent. And I would contend as we enter this season of Christmas and the celebration of the coming of our Savior that there is a Christmas application to that story because as you well know, as we enter this season once again, masses of people, multitudes of people are just as oblivious to the whole point of what is coming and what we celebrate at this time of the year. They, they, they know the simple parts of the story that are so marvelous, but they're oblivious to the ultimate and true meaning and the magnitude of it all, the good news of great joy that is for all the people. And they are so absorbed in all of the other stuff and all of the associated um, elements of Christmas that most miss the real meaning, the whole point, in their understanding of Christmas. So with that in mind, I want to point us to a truth which is essential to a full understanding of the holy birth as we get ready to celebrate once again. And, and this truth is central to grasping the magnitude of the advent, the magnitude of the coming of Jesus Christ in, into all the world. And to do that, I want us to look at these opening lines of the Gospel of Matthew, which are also the opening lines to the New Testament, the story of Jesus Christ. And quite quite often these words are overlooked to get to the story itself. They're, they're overlooked to the point that, that people just kind of skip over them. But in reality, they remind us of something that should be reassuring to us, comforting to us. They remind us of a victorious fact because here we discover the one who reigns over history the one who reigns over history. So look there with me, if you would, in your Bibles or follow along. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa, and Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, and Jehoram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amon, and Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon, And after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, my favorite one, Zerubbabel, 
the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Elihud, and Elihud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now frankly, when we come to such a passage, it's easy to want to just kind of skip over these kinds of passages. I mean, very often the genealogies are viewed as being kind of boring and, and maybe even meaningless, just a series of begats and begots, a long list of largely unfamiliar names. But to the Jewish readers to whom Matthew was writing his gospel, it was full of significance full of importance in what he was saying. I mean, if you want to see how important the genealogies were to the Jewish people, all you have to do is turn to an Old Testament book like, like First Chronicles, um, a book written to the Israelites after the Babylonian exile. And the record of their history, the geneolo genealogical record beginning with Adam takes up the first nine chapters of that book. It's the kind of situation when you get there, if you're reading through the Bible, you want to say, okay, I'm gonna get, I want to get through this as quickly as possible. Our question may be, why did Matthew, when he began to write his record of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world and record his ministry and ultimately his, his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, why did he begin like this? Well, to, to be clear, of course, he had a purpose in doing that, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these are the first words of the New Testament, the first words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I mentioned that, that, that the, the, these four gospels at the front of the New Testament, the gospel of Matthew is the one written um, to Jews, his fellow Jews. Now, you know Matthew was one of the twelve, one of the twelve apostles. And so the gospel of Matthew has been called, quote, an evangelistic tool aimed at his fellow Jew, Jews persuading them to recognize Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. At the outset, his goal in revealing the story of Jesus is to connect him to the history of Israel, to connect them to the history of the Jewish people and God's covenantal relationship with Israel and the promises associated with that covenant God had made with Israel. So he sets out to undeniably show how Jesus is the culmination of that covenant, how Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. And in that first verse, I want us to just focus there for a moment. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Genealogy means origin. Genealogy means genesis. It means beginning. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, Christ. Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrew word translated Messiah. The anointed one, the Lord's anointed. Remember the confession of Simon Peter at 
at um, Caesarea Philippi. That watershed moment as is, is the public ministry of Jesus unfolded and he had prepared these men for what was going to soon take place. And he pulled them aside at a place called Caesarea Philippi and he looked into their eyes and he said, who, who are people saying that I am? And they, they said, well, they, they, they rattled off a list of some of Israel's elite. Some people say you're Jeremiah. Some people say you know, you're John the Baptist, Elijah. But after that, he looked into their eyes and said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And remember, it was Simon Peter who spoke up with a great confession of faith. You are the Christ. You are our long-awaited Messiah. You're the one that has been foretold is coming. You're the one we've waited for. You're the son of the living God. And Matthew says, this is the genealogy of the Messiah, the earthly genealogy. The son of David, Israel's great shepherd king, through whose lineage would come the Messiah, the eternal kingdom. A little while ago, as the, as the candle was of hope was, was lit, one of the verses that the children read was out of Isaiah. Chapter, chapter 9, verse 7, where it says, Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Then he says he's the son of Abraham. He, he traces him all the way back to the patriarch the one that God had called and made his covenant with and promised, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, the founding of the nation of Israel. Matthew wanted his readers to know and to understand that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of that, all of the promises of the Old Testament. Jesus is the Messiah. And through his genealogy, he shows that Jesus is the direct descendant, earthly speaking, of Abraham and David, the royal line. Of Israel, and thus validates that Jesus Jesus qualifies as the legal heir to the King of Israel, the one that he claimed to be, through his legal father, Joseph. Now you know that while Joseph was the legal father on this earth of of Jesus, he was not his true father, was he? Jesus was not the son of Joseph. Who was he? He was the son of God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So Matthew here, as he gives us his genealogy, is, 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 not, is not referring to his, his bloodline, but his legal line, the royal line of Israel. And in his gospel, he is about to present the case for and the evidence that Jesus of Nazareth is their long-awaited Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Jesus of Nazareth is the Savior of the world. And he wanted his readers to understand that and to accept that. It was priority that they understand the proof of how he came through their, through, through, from their heritage, how he came through their history, how he was the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament, how in fact he is King Jesus and his coming is rooted in time and in history because here we discover the one who reigns over history. Now I want you to consider 
in our remaining time these 17 verses. I'm not going to go in depth into all these verses. Don't misunderstand. But I want, us, I want us to understand here the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and think with me about what that reveals, what that means for us even today and for the world today, what, 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 it, what it indicates for us in our lives and for our world. And the first is this. Simply put, history is his story. History is his story. I think we would all agree this morning that our world is in a mess. I mean, for nearly two years now, we've been grappling and trying to cope with a pandemic we just refer to as COVID-19 for instance. And, and I don't know about you, but every time I feel like we're about to come out of the, the darkness into the light again, the news appears one day, and lo and behold, there's another variant out there. It's like it's the never-ending saga, is it not? As serious as, as it has been, and it's just ongoing, and we're tired of it. You, we, we have all of this political unrest in our nation. I question whether our, our nation has ever been this divided, at least in the last 150 years or so. The cultural division in our nation. All the things that create concern and all the things that we see as threats. Not to mention all the other things that are out there that concern us so much. The moral degradation. The direction that we seem to be heading into spiritually. And how... Those that declare themselves as nuns with no religious affiliation are out, outgrowing in number those who are becoming Christians in our nation. Now, a lot to concern us. And it's sad and it's, it's disappointing to us. And if you get consumed with it or you live on the cable news too much, you get depressed about it. But I'm glad the candle is lit there. And we're reminded this is the candle of hope. Because we don't come here as defeated people this morning. We come with the message of hope, and Christmas is the ultimate message of hope for this world in which we live. And maybe in your own personal world, you're experiencing setbacks and disappointments. Maybe, maybe there's suffering in your life. Maybe there's, there's uncertainty in your life and in your home and in your family, and things are going on, and, 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 and it just seems to consume you. And maybe we look at this world in which we live and the, and the chaos and the threats and the disasters that happen at every turn and it just seems like everything is spinning out of control. Matthew, here at the outset of his gospel, in the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ comes with a gentle but profound reminder for us as we enter the season. And it is a reminder that there is eternal hope. And it's as real today as the day Christ came the first time. God is on his throne. And when I read this, that's what it tells me. God is on his throne. God is at the controls. God is at work in our world. God is at work in time and history. And history is his story. And Robbie mentioned at the outset this morning, history is the story of redemption. From Genesis 3-4, the entire Bible is that story of redemption and the victory that is coming for all of those who know this Christ. Look at how, look at how Matthew structures 
the genealogy. In verse 1 he says, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And at the end of it in verse 17 he says, Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. A triad of 14 generations each. Each generation builds on the other. 14 generations from Abraham to David. 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile. 14 generations from the exile to the birth of Jesus. He starts with the call of Abraham. And he takes, he takes it from Abraham to King David. And then there was the Babylonian exile, the low point in the, the history of Israel. The dispersion of the Israelites from their homeland, led away into exile, led away into captivity. Imagine the, imagine the chaos that came with that. Imagine the questions. Imagine the unrest. Imagine all that was going through, not to mention their suffering. And he says, from the exile there were 14 generations until the fulfillment of the promise and the covenant, the coming of Jesus Christ, the Christ, into the world. That's what we celebrate this coming month. I hope you see how the history of Israel, as recorded in the genealogy, is in fact his story. And through it all, God has been in control the Lord over the process that we're a part of today we need to be reminded that God is in control of history and what occurs does not take him by surprise we may wake up one morning and be shocked what's going on in the world nothing takes him by surprise sovereign God is on his throne and Matthew, it's like he's saying to his readers, it's like he's saying to, to, to us today when we read this passage, throughout the entire process of our history as a people, through the high points and through the low points, God is still God. And the flow of our history has been overseen by the God of Abraham and the God of David and its climax in the coming of the one we call the Messiah, the Christ, our Savior. This isn't just the record of a man's biological reproduction, but this is a record of God moving through history toward a goal through the salvation He brings through His Son, Jesus. This Christmas is an appropriate time for us to be reminded that, that history is still His story and He's still in control and time and, and history is in His eternal hands. And I'm glad it is. I'm reminded of the vision that, that Isaiah received from, from, from the Lord. You can read about it in Isaiah chapter 6. He begins by saying, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. High and lifted up, high and exalted. In the year that King Uzziah died, bad time for Israel. The king had died. The earthly throne was vacant, but he said, I saw, I saw the Lord highly exalted. The earthly throne was vacant. The eternal throne was occupied. You, you get over into the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, and, and there's this beautiful vision that the Apostle John gets where he's carried into the very throne room of God. And if you look at Revelation chapter 4, it says, he, he records, there before me is a throne. There before me was a throne in heaven. He wants us to know 
in that time of chaos and suffering for God's people, the, the heavenly throne is occupied. Rest assured, history is his story. And history, number two, is his story is the story of his unconditional love and grace. It's the story of his unconditional love and grace. You know, the, the Bible is very transparent when it comes to the people that are in the, on the, found on the pages of Scripture. Doesn't, doesn't try to sugarcoat anything, just tells it the way it is about all of them. And, and the genealogical listing leading up to the birth of Christ contains all kinds of people through that history, all kinds of individuals. I mean, there are people on this listing that we just read that if, you, they, were, if they were in your family tree, they're the kind of, you probably wouldn't bring up very often because of what they had done in their lives. We want to draw attention to them. I mean, name after name that we, that we just read is a reminder of our human imperfections, our human flaws and failures, and how we're prone to wander, as we, read, as we sung a few minutes ago, how, how we're prone to sin, and that God, for his own glory, can take us in our imperfections and our flaws and our failures and the things that we do that we wish we had never done. And he can work in and through it all and work around all those imperfections and all those things. And even the greatest in the, in the pages of Scripture had failings and experienced failure and had flaws. For instance, and real quick, I mean, Abraham, he, he, was, he was noted for, for lying to save his own skin. Not about his wife. You think about Jacob, who was given the name Israel. He, 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 was, a, he was a good manipulator. He knew how to manipulate people. David, the Bible says a man after God's own heart, the great King David, Israel's shepherd king. You probably know the story of his terrible moral failure with Bathsheba. And then not only that, in the cover-up, he took the life of Bathsheba's husband. Genesis 38 records the story of Tamar. And, and, and Tamar seduced her own father-in-law, Judah. Perez and Zerah mentioned there were the products of their union. Rahab's mentioned. Rahab was a heroine. You read about her in the second chapter of Joshua. But she had been a prostitute. Uriah's wife, verse 6 there, when you read that, and it's worth noting, David um, was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That would be Bathsheba. He, he didn't even write her name in there. He just said Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Um, verse 10, Manasseh. Is, is mentioned, and when you, when you read about King Manasseh, I'll just give you one verse, for 2 Kings 21, 16. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, and note how all of those generations, after all of those generations, it comes to the point that Matthew makes in verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was 
the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. It ends with Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the one perfect, the one perfect, the one sinless, the sinless Lamb of God. He who was without sin, the Apostle Paul would write, he who is without sin or was without sin became sin. That's, that's what he did on the cross. That we might become in our sin the righteousness of God. I want you to also see in that, in that 16th verse how, how Matthew doesn't refer to Joseph as Jesus' father. Did you pick up on that? He refers to him as the husband of Mary. And he refers to Mary as the mother of Jesus. Matthew tells that story from the perspective of Joseph. You go to the next passage and it tells how Jesus came into the world. And Luke, of course, records from Mary's perspective. Matthew records what unfolded through the experience that Joseph had. But here's the point. God controlled, God worked in and through human events, in and through flawed individuals, fallen individuals, human beings, and it all led to the Word becoming flesh. The Word of God incarnate, Jesus who came into the world. What does that indicate? Let me give you three sentences there. Number one, God's eternal plans cannot and will not be thwarted in this world. His ultimate control, His plans, His victory is not in doubt this morning. It is certain. Number two, the incarnate Christ, the eternal Son of God, in His humanity, fully identified with our sin. We can't comprehend that the miracle of the incarnation, that God, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, took on flesh and blood and was born a little baby, like the little babies I saw before the service started, the little babies that we all were at one time. And he identified with us fully and yet was without sin. And third, our salvation fully rests on God's grace. It's all about God's grace. Everything in the story is about God's grace and how he can take imperfect, sinful people and point their lives in a new direction and make them a new creation, as hopefully he's already done in your life and in my life. And it's all for his glory. And then lastly, history. His story is the accomplishment of his perfect purposes. The accomplishment of his perfect purposes. That's what it's ultimately all about, to, to his glory. Matthew, with his record of the genealogy of Jesus, reminds us that history, you know, history is not static. Every day, life marches on, the world marches on, humanity mar marches on. But history does have a destination. History is headed somewhere. Planet Earth, the world, is not spinning out of control. The king is on his throne, and God will not and cannot be defeated by evil. No, it's just the opposite. 
And Matthew is telling his readers then and he's telling his readers this morning that the significance of Abraham and David and, and all the rest is not that they lived in the good old days when God really cared about things, but they were the forerunners of the one who came to redeem and is still redeeming today. Those 42 generations all led to a moment in time. And that's, that's an awesome thought when you stand back from it. Everything in those 14 generations that he mentions is leading to a moment in time. We call it the nativity. When God in flesh was born and placed in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. A point in time, a moment in time and history. And he's saying to those first century readers that the significance of Abraham and David and all the rest is not that they lived when they lived, but they were all a part of this story, this story that is still being written today. They all led to a moment in time when the Son of God became flesh and blood and was born as one of us, as a baby. And that story is still being written this morning in 2021. At Christmas, we celebrate his first coming, his first advent. That's what these candles symbolize. And redemption's story is still being written as we speak this morning. And history as his story now points to the climactic moment in time that is yet to come when Jesus will return. Jesus will return as he promised. Galatians 4.4 4 says, when the, full, when the fullness of time had come, when the time had fully come, God gave, sent forth his son born of a woman. In the, in the fullness of time, at the divinely appointed moment in time, and on the authority of his word, we can declare this morning that just as all of history before Christ led to his first coming, all of history since Christ is pointing to another fullness in time that is on the horizon and his second advent in glory and triumph and all the world will know and all the world will see and he will come in victory to usher in his eternal kingdom. Rest assured this Christmas season that the God of creation, the God of the ages, the God who is from everlasting to everlasting, the God of human history is accomplishing still and will accomplish his perfect purposes for the salvation of all who will come to him and all who will receive him, the one whose birth we celebrate four weeks from yesterday. And therein is found the meaning of this world in which we live this morning, the meaning of this life, the meaning of your life and my life, the meaning of our existence on planet Earth. The world is headed somewhere. There's a goal to history. There's a destination and God is moving, time is passing, and when we begin to unwrap this indescribable gift and the true meaning of Christmas, what we find is the one who reigns over all of history. History is his story. And that story, in the fullness of time, came to its climactic moment nearly 2,000 years ago. And so when you get to verse 18, Matthew begins telling that story this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, 
came about. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we, we stand amazed in your presence when we ponder the miracle and the magnitude of your love for us that climaxed in the giving of your Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God, our words, our thoughts are inadequate to fully express our response. But we thank you that all you ask for us is to respond with a living faith that trusts in you. Where we place our lives under the lordship of this king we call Jesus. And I pray that us, those of us who know him already with this Christmas season, know him maybe in a, in a way with a deepness that we've never known before. Help us to understand, Lord, in this chaotic, uncertain world, there is an anchor for our souls, and his name is Jesus. We thank you for that hope found in him and him only. In Jesus' name, amen.